This ReachMD program is featured on Sermo, a free online community exclusively for physicians. To discuss this program with your colleagues, visit www.sermo.com. That's S-E-R-M-O dot com. When you join, enter ReachMD in the promotion box to receive a $15 Amazon gift card. You're listening to ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We were once afraid of multidrug-resistant TB as a hospital-wide epidemic. Now it's multidrug-resistant MRSA. But why is it now a community threat? And how do we diagnose and treat it effectively? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and joining me today, Dr. Arjun Cerny-Vasan, medical epidemiologist from the Division of Healthcare Quality Promotion at the CDC, Center for Disease Control in Atlanta. Dr. Srinivasan is a graduate of Vanderbilt University School of Medicine, and he did his internal medicine residency and ID fellowship at Johns Hopkins. He is adjunct assistant professor at Emory University Medical Center. He is on the rapid response team at the CDC, investigating outbreaks of infections at hospitals and other healthcare settings, where an important part of his job is not just to diagnose, but then to implement changes to prevent the causes of the outbreaks from happening again. Today we're discussing the outbreak of superbugs, in particular MRSA, methicillin-resistant Staph aureus. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. It's my pleasure, Dr. Johnson. Now, first of all, MRSA isn't really new. It's been around as a hospital-acquired infection for several decades. So what's new about this outbreak? Well, I think what has changed about MRSA is exactly what she mentioned. In the past, MRSA was thought to be exclusively in the domain of hospitals and other healthcare facilities. However, over the past really eight to nine years, MRSA has emerged and actually become very well established now as a cause of infections in people who have no exposure to healthcare facilities or healthcare delivery environments. When did you, as a member of the CDC rapid response team, start to elevate this on your radar? Well, the CDC first, I think, became involved with the issue of MRSA infections in the community back in 1999 when there was a publication in the weekly Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report describing the deaths of several children who did not have any known risk factors for, previously known risk factors for MRSA, who had actually died of MRSA infections. And that was really the beginning of our awareness that MRSA might be a community pathogen. Since that time, it has really taken off in terms of its prevalence in the community and our awareness of how common, just how common, community MRSA appears to be. I would say that probably I joined the CDC in 2003, and certainly since that time, there has really been a tremendous increase both in our awareness of how common this is and also in the number of places that are reporting problems with community MRSA. Now, that's a number of years already. What are you learning about the etiology? Well, I think there are a number of things that have been consistent in these investigations that have been done looking at infections with community MRSA. Primarily among those, I think, is that we have now a pretty good idea of how a lot of these infections, not all of them, but a lot of them appear to be transmitted. And 
and that is that there are a number of risk factors that seem to come up over and over again. We call these the five C's, but we tend to see outbreaks of community MRSA in settings where there's a lot of crowding, so in military training facilities, in prison populations, sometimes in daycare settings. We see them in places where there's frequent skin-to-skin contact, and that's why sports teams have commonly been involved. We see them in places where the population might have compromise to their skin integrity, like cuts or abrasions, and again, very common among many sports teams. We see these in places where there are contaminated items that might be present uh, or contaminated surfaces, and again, a lot of times in the uh, military facilities, in prison populations, daycare facilities, sports environments, these uh, tend to be common. And finally, we see them in in populations where there might be a a lack of cleanliness, so uh, inadequate access to uh, personal hygiene types of uh, facilities. And what's been remarkable is that these risk factors, these five C's that I described, have been common over and over again in outbreaks of community MRSA. So like I said, they don't explain all the cases, but they definitely are contributing factors in many, many outbreaks. Is it really more virulent than before, or is it the same serotype? Well, the community and healthcare MRSA strains appear to be quite different. One of the theories that had come out initially when we were seeing infections in the community with MRSA was that perhaps this was a hospital MRSA that had somehow gotten out into the community and was now causing uh, infections in the community. That theory, I think, has been pretty definitively put to rest by some of the microbiologic testing that's been been done. This community strain of MRSA appears very different from its healthcare counterpart. It does appear to have some toxins that are not present in the uh, hospital strains, and that's one of the issues which people think might be making it a more virulent infection in some instances than the hospital strains. It also has a very different antimicrobial resistance profile. Healthcare strains of MRSA have historically been resistant to a variety of different antibiotics. And in fact, for most healthcare-associated strains of MRSA, there are mostly, I should say, only intravenous treatment options that are available. Healthcare uh, community-associated MRSA is actually quite different. There are a number of different antimicrobials that are available to treat community-associated MRSA infections, and many of these are actually oral options that are available, and they tend to be some older antibiotics like Bactrim, like clindamycin, that uh, are effective in treating these types of infections. So it's really quite different microbiologically from healthcare MRSA. Are Bactrim and clindamycin found to be equally effective? It depends on the strains. So this is something that differs in different geographic regions. In some areas, there is some degree of clindamycin resistance. Bactrim so far in in most places has held up as being a fairly good treatment across the board. But in reality, the most effective treatment for community MRSA can differ a little bit from place to place. You know, many primary care doctors and family practitioners, pediatricians, they've really pulled back from prescribing antimicrobials for common ear infections and sore throats the way we used to. So is overuse of antibiotic a factor in these uh, resistant strains developing? Certainly that's one of the factors that has been put forward as an important issue with respect to the development of antimicrobial resistance. I don't think anybody knows for sure how big a role antibiotic exposure has played in the uh, emergence of community-associated MRSA. In the reports that have been published, antibiotic exposure doesn't appear to be a major driving factor in the development of 
community-associated MRSA. But one thing that is, of course, of great concern is the issue of whether or not antimicrobial resistance will begin to emerge in strains of community-associated MRSA. And if that happens, it would, of course, limit our treatment options. So I think that irrespective of whether or not antimicrobial use drove the emergence of community MRSA, certainly the prospect of developing antimicrobial resistance in strains of community MRSA is a definite uh, warning to us to be careful about how we use antimicrobials. So this didn't derive from the nosocomial infections that we saw in ICU since at least the 80s to what we see today. This is different. That's exactly right. And that's been, I think, pretty well established both on the epidemiologic front, where people have looked in pretty good detail to ensure that patients who have these community-associated MRSA infections really don't have unrecognized healthcare exposure. There have been lots of studies where these patients have been interviewed in great detail to ensure that they didn't have healthcare exposures that we know about. So there's epidemiologic evidence that it's not related to healthcare MRSA. And then there's also the microbiologic evidence where we know that the resistance profiles are different, the community strains contain toxin genes that the healthcare strains do not, and we know that MRSA resistance in the community-associated strains of MRSA is carried on an entirely different piece of genetic material than methicillin resistance in the healthcare-associated strains. So there's epidemiologic and microbiologic evidence that, in fact, community MRSA is not a spread of healthcare MRSA into the community, but is, in fact, the emergence of an entirely new strain of MRSA within the community. That sounds like pretty strong evidence. I think it is. For anyone listening who is in an office and a practice and with all the media coverage, a lot of people are running in every time they have a little a cut with some surrounding cellulitis or redness around it that maybe they treat at home and now they're really worried. So how do you recognize the need for stronger antibiotic for staph aureus and how do you treat it and diagnose it and treat it in an office practice, for example? So I think one of the issues that this has brought up is the importance now of uh, obtaining cultures when you see uh, lesions that are abscess-forming skin and soft tissue infections. Uh, Certainly, MRSA can be one of the causes of those infections, and obviously it's treated a little differently from the way we used to treat skin infections. So I think certainly that's one thing that we encourage people to do. You know, obviously, clinically, many of these infections look like other types of skin infections. They uh, can be cellulitic. They do tend to form abscesses. And culture is really the only definitive way to know if you're dealing with a MRSA infection. Thank you very much. That's a lot of information. And I think our listeners are going to really benefit from it. I, I know I will. I want to thank Dr. Arjun Cerny-Bassan from the CDC in Atlanta. And we've been discussing MRSA, microbial resistance, and your primary care practice. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions on this or any segment, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.